Last week, uh, I spoke on the topic of pregnant with the word. And we were in Luke chapter 126 to 38 there. And during that sermon, we looked at how God visited Mary and how she responded to the angel and conceived of the Holy Spirit. We saw that when Gabriel first visited Mary, it was God's initiative, God's choice, God's favor over her life. He gave her a promise and that promise was so marvelous and miraculous that Mary responded to him and said, well, how can this be? And the answer was, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will conceive the word made flesh. And so we saw in that, that God, all truth is parallel, that the way God was dealing with Mary, he can often deal with us. He come to us unannounced, uh, come to us by his grace and his favor to reveal his plans and his promises for each one of us. How many of you know that you have a destiny with God here on earth? You weren't saved by accident, but you were saved for a purpose. Mary was chosen for a purpose. And then she was given a promise, a call to bear the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Each one of us, whatever God has called us to do in our career, in the marketplace, in the community, in the church, our ministries, these things are God's word to us. And everything that God calls us to do and wants us to do for his kingdom on earth, we can't do by ourselves. Like Mary, we should say, how can this be possible? And God's answer is always, you'll do what I've asked you to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we saw Mary was not alone in following God. The angel Gabriel, when he delivered her this message, and she responded by saying, your slave, uh, what, let it be to me as you desire. She was humble, she received it, she was obedient. And then the angel said, you know, you're not alone. Elizabeth has also had a meeting with God. And she that spent so many years without child is now with child and they'll name him John. Straight after that, Mary went to meet Elizabeth and they compared notes on what God was doing in their lives. They were each jigsaw pieces in a wider jigsaw puzzle of God's plan on earth. And we can learn from that. And we spoke about that last week, that God has called us and God is giving us promises and these can't happen except by the power of the Holy Spirit and we're to submit and, and we're to be obedient like Mary and there's others around us that we can go to because what God is doing in your life and what God is doing in my life is part of a greater plan where everybody and everybody's call fits together. And then we ended with Mary moving forward to carry the conceived word of God in her womb for nine months. And this is where we pick it up in Luke chapter 2 verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in 
the inn. So we pick this up where Mary has received the word of the Lord. She is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. She's compared notes with what God was doing in Elizabeth's life. And then all of a sudden, everything seems to go quiet. Imagine the excitement of being visited by an angel. Joseph, her husband, would also have a dream from God explaining to him the purposes and the plan for him and his wife's lives. They have this initial receiving of this word, this excitement that they now know their destiny on earth with God. The delivery of the word, the power of the Holy Spirit, the conception of something miraculous, the saviour of the world within her womb. And then it appears that God just withdraws. God goes quiet. God goes behind the scenes and leaves them to walk through this call and this promise seemingly alone without further intervention. He retires behind the scenes of normal life, and it appears that normal life, without God it seems, takes control. It's interesting that often when God brings to us the call of God on our lives, or if we receive a promise from God, we we know that God is going to do something, we've heard from him, we've had a prophecy, or, or we just know as we know that God has called us to do something or bring something into the earth in his will. That initial reception and conception or conceiving of God's plan for our lives or God's purpose, we receive it with joy. But then after a while, sometimes it can seem like, well, where has the plan of God gone in my life? What about that word spoken in my heart? What about that career or, or that, that, that I, I know that God has called me to? Nothing seems to be happening. Everything seems to be quiet. And it was the same with Mary and Joseph. They were walking through their pregnancy. But not everybody understood what was happening. There was the Elizabeths. There's always the Elizabeths of life who will rejoice in what God is doing in your life and because God is doing something in her life. But the rest of the people did not rejoice because they didn't understand. I mean, a 14-year-old, that's how old Mary was probably, who was pregnant before she was married, with a story that she was visited by the angel Gabriel. How would you feel if you had a teenage daughter who got pregnant and came home and her explanation was an angelic visitation? <laughs> exactly. So this is what's going around. The rumours are spreading and she has to carry the call of God and the word of God that's within her womb, she has to carry it with a little bit of shame. A lot of shame, actually. A, a, a lot of misunderstanding. Not everybody was rejoicing. Not everybody heard or believed that God was doing the most spectacular thing that had ever happened in history. It was just her and Joseph. And the call of God, the word of God was working. Within her womb, the embryo, Jesus, the son of the living God, he was growing and growing. But in those early days of the pregnancy, there was, you know, nobody could notice Nobody knew, not even Mary when the embryo was that tiny could, could feel Jesus, but as the pregnancy moved on and, and, and the embryo grew, Jesus grew, and it came nearer to the time of birth, even though it was still invisible, the child within the womb, every so often you could, she could feel it kicking, or she could take Joseph's hand and place it 
on her stomach, on her tummy, and he would feel it kicking. Sometimes when, when God has called us or given us his promise, his way, his desires, and then it goes quiet and we're carrying something, but we, we're not seeing or feeling what we're carrying, it's gone quiet. But as time goes by, every so often you can feel the promise of God kicking inside you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Little bits of encouragements, little bits of reminders of what God has said and what God has done. Something coming, just a little bit of kick. God's promise is still alive in you. It was conceived of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is living and active inside you. You're trying to walk it out. And God gives you little signs of his promises. But often things go quiet. Well, things had gone quiet here in chapter 2 of Luke. And it seemed that Caesar Augustus was now calling the shots over the family of Joseph and Mary. He decreed that there would be a census so that he could get more accurate taxing and increase the taxing on the inhabitants of uh, Israel and Judea. And so historically, Joseph found himself, like many others, having to travel to his hometown, which of course was Bethlehem. When they heard the news from the Roman officials in Nazareth that everybody had to, every man had to return to the place of his birth, I wonder how Joseph and Mary took that. I mean, Mary was well pregnant by now, and the idea of a uh, 92 mile walk from Nazareth right up to Bethlehem, they must have been thinking, God, what's, what's this? This isn't the best way. Uh, to care for Mary uh, while she's pregnant. She should be somewhere relaxing, taking it easy, putting her feet up for nine months, not going on some four to five day travel all the way to Bethlehem just because Caesar wants to tax us more. Why, why aren't you intervening, God? Why didn't you send Gabriel to sort out Caesar? Or, or why couldn't this census be in two years' time? when the child is born and settled. This is very inconvenient. Sometimes we'll find that when we're following God's plans for our lives, inconveniences come into our lives that seem not to help the call of God and following the master's plan for our lives. They don't seem to help, but they in fact seem to hinder, work against what God has called us to do. Why would you call it? Why would you allow this to happen, Lord? A 92 mile journey uh, in the last months of our pregnancies. Why didn't you intervene? You intervened at the beginning. You know, it's funny how God intervenes and how God doesn't intervene. He often intervenes when we don't expect him to do, to, to do. And when we truly expect him to intervene, he goes quiet. Well, God had his plans. In fact, let me say this. God was as active behind the scenes at this time when the Caesar was calling on this census. God was as active behind the scenes as he was when he sent his angel Gabriel from heaven who appeared and gave him the word. God, was, God is as, as involved in your life in the quiet times. When you're wondering, I haven't heard from him lately. When you're thinking, he's not intervened, everything's gone quiet, it's as if there is no God. I'm just walking through a natural life day by day, 
week by week or month by month, and, and everything seems known so natural. I'm praying, but I'm not hearing. I'm seeking, but I'm not finding. I'm knocking, but nothing's opened. I've known moments when he's come and he's spoken and I've heard and I know what the plan is for me, but now everything's gone quiet. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is always busy. He's busy when you see his busyness, and he's busy, and if I can say this hyperbole, he's often more busy when you don't know what he's doing. Setting the scene for the moment of birthing the promise on the earth uh, that he's given to you earlier. So God was behind Caesar's census. You know, the gospel writers speak about Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Matthew speaks about Micah 5, 2 as a fulfillment in Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem, that journey, and uh, uh, Mary giving birth in Bethlehem. I'll read it, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Epaphra, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will come forth from me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So here is Micah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this event, this census taking place by Caesar, prophesying that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. I wonder, do you think, I don't know, but do you think that Joseph knew about this prophecy in the Old Testament? Did he know? When he heard that they would have to travel to Bethlehem because of this census, did he go, ah, this reminds me. That's Micah 5.2 being fulfilled there. This is God working behind the scenes to get us to the place of prophecy. Or did he, when he heard the news that they had to travel to Bethlehem, did he get his Bible out, as it were? Did he start searching the scriptures to try and find meaning in this historical event that came from Rome? Or did he have no idea? Was it not on his mind? Did he just realize that he had to go to Bethlehem and uh, there was no two, two ways about it? He'd just trust God on the way. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't suppose we don't, we'll never know the answer till we, we meet him in heaven, but if he knew the scriptures, that's interesting. Because if he knew that scripture, there'd be a lot of confidence in him, wouldn't there? If he said, ah, this is Micah 5.2, you Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans, out of you will come from me a ruler from Israel, then he could say, come on, Mary, it's in the word. We can stand on this. God is working. We can see it by the prophecy. Let's go. We've got nothing to worry about on the journey. This is exactly the plan of God. And Micah, hundreds of years ago, told us. There'd be a confidence in him. If he wasn't aware of this scripture, and I suspect that maybe he wasn't at the time, then he would be like, I don't know what's going on. Why are we doing this journey? Why would God allow these adverse circumstances when we're meant to be having a child, the child of, uh, the son of God, the savior of the world? Why is Caesar intervening? This is strange. I'm struggling with it. Well, Mary, we've got no choice. We have to make the journey. You see, there's a little lesson here. This is the lesson. If you know your Bible you will better discern what God is doing in your life, even when it seems a bit strange. You'll be able to understand that God does work behind the scenes. You'll know the things that 
God allowed to happen to people in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, their experiences where things seemed to go against what God had called them to do, but in the end it worked out. If you know your Bible, if you know the Word of God, then you will be better able to understand and discern what God is doing in your life. If you don't know your Bible, God will still look after you, but it can be far more disorientating. I tell you what, I would like to know about Micah 5.2 before I start my 92-mile journey with my wife, rather than read it maybe, learn about, learn about it at Bible school five years later when it had all happened. Do you hear what I'm saying? But nevertheless, they, they had to go on this journey together. Now, the journey from Nazareth to, to uh, Bethlehem, as I mentioned early, it, earlier, is 92 miles. Four to five days it would have taken them. And uh, it was an uphill journey because you had to travel from Nazareth and then you went, to, went through or by Jericho. Jericho is the lowest city on the face of the earth. You don't get any lower than Jericho. They had to go to Jericho, but then the final part of their journey was a great climb up to the hills of Jerusalem and then finally into Bethlehem. They had to climb 5,000, sorry, 3,500 feet in that last part of the journey or 100,000 meters if you think in meters. 3,500, think about that. Think about them journeying. Mary's heavily pregnant. Think about where were they going to stay on the evenings. They couldn't go by way of Samaria because the Samaritans didn't have any dealings with Jews and Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. They're on a journey. Pregnancy is a journey. And when God gives us his word or his promise of the call of God on our lives, there is a time, a journey, where we have to walk through the pregnancy of God's word until God's word is birthed and we can see it in our lives and our actions. In fact, when you look at all the heroes of the Bible, you will find that God births a promise, or sorry, God conceives a promise in their lives, but the promise doesn't happen immediately. Days, weeks, months, years can take Play, take, can go by before what is promised comes to birth and they experience. Think of Abraham, for example. God comes to Abraham in Genesis 15 and says, you will have your own son, a miracle son. His name will be Isaac and he will come forth from Sarah. And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and that moment something was conceived of the Holy Spirit in his heart. Faith for a child, Isaac. But it wasn't nine months later that Isaac was born, was it? Oh no, it was more than 25 years for that word uh, that was pregnant to come to pass when Isaac was born. And during that spiritual pregnancy of faith, if I can put it that way, of 25 years or so, a lot of things were happening to Abraham uh, that were God's, purpose, God's purposes. You see, when you're pregnant with God's word, as Mary was, and as we sometimes are in parallel, the pregnancy part is not just something to get, to get to, just to push by. Oh, God has promised me a word. He's got a call on my life. Oh, no, how long am I going to have to wait for this? What a waste of time. Do you ever get excited? Or do you ever get, did you ever get excited and then impatient? 
that what God has called you to do is not coming to pass. God's called you into a specific sphere or career, but you didn't get the grades to train for it and you're perplexed or, or, or you went to a job that you thought was God's plan for you. You went through the motions of the job. Uh, you got to the, the last few that were being interviewed and you didn't get the job. And you think, well, what was the purpose of that? Why can't God just give me the job that he wanted to give me? All of these things are a journey to the destination that God wants you to be. There was a destination of birth here. It wasn't Nazareth. It was Bethlehem. And so God intervened behind the scenes to ensure that Mary and Joseph were at the right time, sorry, at the right place, at the right time for the moment of birth to come. Perfect time. Not on the journey to Bethlehem, not in Nazareth, not in Jericho, not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. God was arranging things so that the birth would take place at the right time in the right place. How many people, I wonder here today, are ever expected to live in London if you live in London? I'm sure there's a number of us from different countries or places that thought to ourselves, I don't think I'll ever live in London, but God got us here by one way or the other, work behind the scenes like he did with Joseph and Mary because this was a place for birthing to take place, for his will to come to pass. I was brought up in the Yorkshire Dales and um, for many years as, as a young Yorkshire boy, last place I ever wanted to be was London. I didn't even like Southerners. I didn't, I, seriously, I didn't like Southerners. I didn't want to come south. Especially not going down London. Why would I go down London? What's London got that Leeds hasn't? Well, I've learnt, but anyway, that's another story. I didn't want to go to... But God worked. God had a plan. There was a destination for me and his purposes that wasn't North Yorkshire, but was London, Notting Hill Gate. And God had his ways and moved one way and another. At times I didn't understand what the journey was or where it was taken, but God got me to the right place at the right time for the right thing. Now, this can be a locational thing, as I'm talking about in our lives, but also it can be a place where God puts you situationally or circumstantially. It's a journey and you're wondering at times, why am I here? What's happening? Why aren't I breaking, why aren't I breaking through? It's because God has got you on a journey and that journey is like a pregnancy, and there are many things for you to learn on the way of your spiritual pregnancy until God births that which he's promised or called you to do. You hear what I'm saying? And so just in the natural, as a woman is carrying a child and the months roll by, her body is being prepared for birth and the child is also growing and getting to the right place for birth, that pregnancy period of nine months is very important. Lots of preparation, lots of learning. Abraham learned loads of things about himself and God on his journey of 25 years until the miracle child was born. One of the things that God wants to teach us more than anything is patience and trust with him. So they find themselves in Bethlehem. And even that's a bit strange and a little bit of a disappointment. You'd have thought that the angel Gabriel that visited them or visited Mary in such a powerful, intervening, miraculous, supernatural, sensational way could have at least take, uh, took the time or trouble to book them in 
the presidential suite in the Sheraton in Bethlehem, wouldn't you? I mean, what else is he doing except glorifying God in heaven? And yet, there's no presidential suite booked for them by God for the birth of his son on earth. Uh, in fact, the Sheraton is full. Even the Premier Inn is full. Everywhere's full. Didn't God know that they were on a journey to Bethlehem? Isn't it possible that God has enough energy and ability and time on his hands if he can work out a census to work out a decent place for his son to be born? So they enter the bustle and confusion of an overcrowded Bethlehem as everybody has returned and they're, they're not sure what's going on and, and then they find themselves in a shed, a shed. And there's a manger now, you know, away in a manger, everything seems so lovely. But that, this was a dirty feeding trough for animals in a cold shed. What was going on in Mary's and Joseph's mind as they got into this shed? Confusion, perplexion. Mary feels the time of birth is coming soon. She feels the contractions. It's time, Joseph. I can feel we're getting close to it. Well, how can we be getting close to it in a shed? Surely the Son of God, that which was prophesied by God, Gabriel, the angel, surely it's not going to happen in a shed, out of sight. Nobody even knows. Everybody in the hotel enjoying themselves, us in the garage. Is this really where the Saviour's going to be born? And this is a lesson for us. Even when God births things into our lives, it's not always the most sensational and amazing finished product that we thought it was. Oh, I knew God would send me to this place or that place. Or I knew God wanted me to get involved in this work. Or, or I knew that. But when you get to where God wants you, you're a little bit disappointed. Or when the thing that God has promised seems to start to happen, it's not in the way that you had imagined it or envisioned it. Do you think Mary, when she was in Bethlehem, or, or, or the moments after Gabriel, the angel, had prophesied she would uh, uh, have the, a child who would be the son of God, do you think she sat back and thought, I imagine being in a cattle shed. I imagine a feeding trough. I imagine having just completed an exhausting 92-mile journey. I, I imagine, yes, that, that's my imagination. That's how I think it's all going to turn out. I can't think that anything was further than her mind when she heard and conceived uh, of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, and she thought, nine months, I wonder where I'll be. I wonder where he'll be born. I wonder what God and the angel will design. I, I, it must have been incredibly humbling to sit here and say, well, is this it? Is this the place? Is this the birth? And then the birth takes place. You know, when it's time to birth, the promises of God, and the callings of God on your life, when it's time to birth, often you will find that things heat up circumstantially around you. You know, when there's a time of birthing, it can become quite traumatic. 
Jesus speaks about this in John chapter 16, verse 20. You know, did Mary have a pain-free childbirth? Well, we don't know the answer, but I suspect that she didn't. I suspect that she had some kind of normal birthing process because she was a normal human being. She was subject to sin like the rest of us. So I, I can't be for sure, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. I think that she had pain when she gave birth to Jesus because Jesus understands how births take place. And here, he uses the physical pain of childbirth to talk about spiritual things. John chapter 16, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because the hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a, joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too will have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And no one will take your joy away from you. So Jesus is using a parallel truth here. And what he's saying is that when God births things in our lives or births things through us in our circumstances, not always, but often we should expect some birthing pains. And, and, and this is twofold. It comes upon us, but also we have to respond to it. So when God is about to birth something new in your life, when you're about to get that breakthrough, that you've been believing him for, that you've been pregnant with, and you've been carrying God's call on your life or his promises on your life, and, and, and the promise is coming to full term. You know that when a woman is pregnant, uh, the nearer she gets to birth, the heavier the baby inside her, and, and, and the heavier it is to carry. And then when it comes time for the birthing, contractions start. The woman can't do anything about these contractions. She doesn't choose them. But at the right time, there's the initial contractions. And to begin with, they are spaced apart quite infrequently. But it's a signal. Get ready to go to the hospital. Get ready to give birth. And then the, the contractions become more frequently. And you can tell that the time is coming. When God births things in our lives, often there's a lot of disorderly things going on in our emotions, in our relationships, in our circumstances. Contractions are taking place spiritually that are affecting us and our circumstances because spiritual things are about to birth into material things and historic things. And the birthing of the spiritual into the natural is, is, is sometimes quite traumatic. Things are going strange, things are going weird, your emotions are all over the place, and you're thinking, what's going on, Lord? Well, what's happening is the contractions spiritually are taking place, they're getting more and more frequent, you're feeling them, and they're going to come so frequently ready for birth. But when these contractions take place, these disruptions take place, and there's an intensity coming spiritually into your circumstances, that's also the signal for you to push. For you to push through. For you to grab hold of that promise with both hands, as it were, in the spirit, 
and pray and labor. Anybody ever heard of Elijah? And he, he got the word. The word was, three years have passed, now I'm going to send my rain. And uh, Elijah believed, and the word was conceived in his spirit. Then what did he do? Did he just wait for God? Did he just lie back and say, off you go, Lord, bring the rain? No, he could feel the contractions of something spiritual about to be birthed in the physical. And if you know the story, he got himself into the ancient birthing position and he began to push. He felt the contractions of the heavenly word ready to come and he pushed and he prayed once. Nothing happened. He had pushed. He prayed twice, pushed, nothing happened. Pushed a third time in prayer. Pushed a fourth time in prayer. Pushed a five time in prayer. And his servant kept back, came back and said, nothing. Pushed a sixth time in prayer. Pushed a seventh time in prayer. And then his servant came back and said, yeah, cloud the size of a man's hand. A little baby cloud had been born in the air, and that little baby cloud had some baby rain in it. But how many of you know what was born as a baby was going to grow and grow and grow and become a torrential rainstorm on a land that hadn't had a touch of rain for three years? Mary gave birth to a little baby. Didn't look anything special. Nobody knew about it except a few shepherds out there somewhere. That's where the party was taking place. A little baby in a feeding trough. Who was to know that that little baby, that birth in a shed, was going to rock the world and that we would be here today at Kensington Temple celebrating the Christmas truths?